Let's open our Bibles again tonight to John chapter 9. We introduced this passage last week with the title, The Dilemma of Blindness. And as we go through this chapter in our verse-by-verse and chapter-by-chapter study of John, we are going to see blindness manifest itself in a number of different ways. And the dilemma that it presents for those who are blinded. Here in John chapter 9, we are going to be looking at verses 1 through 7 tonight. So let's take a moment and read. As he went along, he, Jesus, saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. This is a very interesting passage. It is filled with truth for us. And we're going to endeavor to mine that truth tonight and see the significance of what is in this passage. Now, again, all the Gospels are the stories of Jesus. But while most of the gospel writers, the synoptic writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, spend a lot of time focused on the work of Jesus, John spends most of his gospel on the words of Jesus. And he selects only seven of the miracles of Jesus, which he calls miraculous signs. And those seven are selected as he writes in chapter 20 and verse 31, so that they will cause people to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, they will have life in his name. This is the sixth of the seven signs that Jesus did, that John records for the purpose of prompting in people Belief in Jesus, revealing that he is the Messiah, and spurring them to put their faith and their trust in him. As we have already seen many times, when Jesus did a miracle, it did not cause people to believe in him. Rather, it had the opposite effect. It hardened the hearts of people, and they refused to accept who he was. There were times even when he did a miracle for someone, but that grace was futile in that person's life. Such was the case of the fifth sign, when Jesus healed the man by the pool of Bethesda, who had been crippled for 38 years. But we will see tonight that God's grace was not in vain. 
when it was manifested to this man who had been born blind. This is really a story about blindness and missions. One of the things that we said last week is that this chapter and this story is broken up into seven scenes. And there are primary actors in each scene. And we see something happening in each scene with regard to this dilemma of blindness. Well, in this first scene, there are two primary actors. It is the missionary, who is Jesus, and it is the blind man. There is also a supporting cast, the disciples. And there is a dilemma of blindness, not simply on the part of the blind man, but on the part of the supporting cast. And so let's look at this passage. We might entitle this passage Blindness and Missions. We might entitle it Blindness Encounters Greats. All of those dynamics we are going to see as we look at this passage this evening. We begin reading that as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Now let's think for a moment about Jesus. John 3.16 is the best known verse that, from the Gospel of John. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son. Right there we have a definition concerning Jesus. He is the sent one. And we're going to look at that word sent a little bit more as we go further in this story. But our English equivalent to sent one would be missionary. And so as the missionary is going along, he encountered a man who had been born blind from birth. We understand something when we read that sentence. That the missionary, and we'll make that an uppercase M because we're referring to Jesus right now. The missionary or the sent one has eyes for hurting, needy people. In Mark chapter 2 and verse 17, we read, On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If you have the eyes of Jesus, you take notice of hurting needy people. We're going to see the opposite of that in our study next week. Jesus noticed people that no one else noticed. Jesus paid attention. Jesus had time for hurting needy people. They were the reason that he came. And he sought them out. The missionary encountered a man who had been blind from birth. Now, this is a significant statement for us. He's not just blind, but John tells us that he had been blind from birth. Did you know that there is no record of the healing of a blind person in the Old Testament? 
nor is there any record that the apostles healed blind people. Perhaps they did, but giving sight to the blind was a particular ministry of the Messiah. The Messianic age would be understood to have arrived when blind people were healed. Turn with me back to Isaiah. A couple of passages of scripture. In Isaiah 29 and verse 18. In that day the deaf will hear the words of the scroll. And out of the gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. The words go on. Once more, the humble will rejoice in the Lord. The needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Turn over to chapter 32 and verse 3. Then the eyes of those who see will no longer be closed, and the ears of those who hear will listen. Chapter 35 and verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Chapter 42, beginning with verse 6. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. This is the Lord God speaking to the Messiah, his son, to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeons those who sit in darkness. Once again, it was understood that when the Messiah came, he would be distinguished by this ministry of healing the blind. This is why later on in this chapter, when the man is being questioned by the Pharisees, he responds, nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. It was because of this messianic perspective. And this man is simply reiterating the fact that throughout the Old Testament in Israel's history, there was no record of a blind man being healed. Throughout the time between the prophets and his current day, there was no record of blind people being healed. This was the unique ministry of the Messiah. And so this man declared, this man Jesus cannot be from anyone except God because he opens the eyes of the blind. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, declared that by supernatural power, the God of this world has blinded the eyes of people so that they cannot see the glory of God in Christ. And then he goes on in verse 6 to say that it requires divine intervention to open spiritually blinded eyes. But God who said, let there be light, has caused his light to shine into our hearts so that we might see, we might know, we might understand. Once again, nothing less than divine intervention is necessary 
to open spiritually blinded eyes. Well, as we said last week, when we noted some of the highlights of this chapter, born blind is our story. It's the story of everyone who has ever lived. St. Augustine said, if we reflect then on what is signified by the deed done here, that blind man is the human race. For this blindness had taken place in the first man through sin, from whom we all draw our origin, not only in respect of death, but also of unrighteousness. For if unbelief is blindness and faith enlightenment, whom did Christ find a believer at his coming? The fact is that every one of us had unbelieving hearts until God caused his light to shine into our hearts. Until the missionary came, there was no way for us to know. In verse 2, we find a rather unmissionary judgment. As the disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Here is the dilemma of blindness in this passage. It is blind judgment. We as human beings and as Christians in particular, have a need to find an explanation for everything that does not seem right. And there is an even darker streak within our sinful human nature, the need to assign guilt or blame. Rabbi who sinned, this man or his parents, Why did it have to be one or the other? Why did it have to be because of sin? Well, the rabbis had taught that this idea that you and I might say is karma, rooted in Hindu belief, for example, that every bad thing is the result of something bad that we did in this life or a previous life. So this idea that either this man sinned or his parents sinned was a decidedly unscriptural idea. There is great precedent for that, isn't it? In Job, Job's friends came with that particular perspective. Job, this would not have happened to you unless you did something really, really bad. And even Job tried to justify himself before God from the same perspective, God, I did really, really good things for everyone. Why am I in this place? Many why questions have no adequate, let alone divinely accurate answers. Remember Jesus hanging on the cross? He asked a why question. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did he get an answer? There was no answer on the cross. He did not hear a voice. No one there heard a response. That question hung in the air 
unanswered. We rob God of his sovereignty and people of trusting him and relying on his grace when we try from our limited perspective to explain his purposes. Jesus responded with a missionary perspective. And he said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. I wonder if that had the disciples scratching their heads for a moment. It went against everything that they had thought, everything that they understood. It went against every neat packaged explanation that they had for what was wrong in the world. What? Neither this man nor his parents. There is a bigger answer than what we think. Absolutely, Jesus said. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Oh, it would bring such comfort to our hearts if we could remember at all times that God's ways are higher than our ways and that his purposes are beyond anything that we can understand. And if we could just learn the song that we sang tonight and trust in Jesus and ask him for grace that we might trust him more. Jesus explained to his disciples what we might put in these words. Some things happen not from bad causes in the past, but for good purposes in the future. Now, something really extraordinary and wonderful is going to happen as this story continues to unfold. This man's healing and subsequent testimony became community knowledge and a witness to the grace of God and the work of Jesus as the Messiah who came both to redeem and heal and to judge in righteousness. There was a far greater answer, a wonderful reason for this man having been born blind the glory of God. And that is the ultimate purpose of everything that occurs in the life of a believer. That should be the motivation in everything that we do. In fact, the Apostle Paul brought it right down to whether we eat or drink. Everything should have in mind and in focus the glory of God. That is the supreme worth and the supreme purpose of everything. Jesus then continued with a missionary mandate. And he said, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in this world, I am the light of the world. Now, this is a very interesting passage here. Very interesting statement. It is a particularly sent statement. 
Jesus, first of all, said, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. The father is the sender. Jesus is identifying himself as the sent one. But notice that while Jesus identifies himself as the sent one, he also includes the disciples. For everyone who is called to follow Jesus is also called to be sent. Jesus would appear to his disciples after his resurrection and he would breathe upon them and say, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he would give them the version of the Great Commission that we find in John's Gospel. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. We remember the words of the Apostle Paul to the Romans concerning the necessity of sending and being sent. How can people believe unless they are, have heard? How can they hear unless someone goes and preaches to them? How can someone go and preach unless they are sent? And so Jesus declared, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. We are the sent ones. As the apostles were the successors of Jesus, and as the early disciples in the first church, not talking about the apostles, but those who were disciple, went out as sent ones when persecution scattered the church at Jerusalem, preaching the gospel wherever they went, baptizing people and establishing churches. So all the way down through the centuries to us today, we are the sent ones. And we need to hear the words of Jesus today to us. As long as it is day, we, me, you, must do the work of the sender, the father who sent his son. Jesus made a second statement. Night is coming when no one can work. There is a limited amount of time. Remember Jesus saying to his disciples when they wondered why he was ministering and speaking with this woman in Samaria. Lift up your eyes and look at the harvest. It is ready right now. Don't say we still have time. Now is the time to reap the harvest. You and I have a missionary perspective if we have a sense of urgency concerning the lostness of people and their eternal destiny. We have a missionary perspective if we understand that no one is guaranteed tomorrow and that unless they know Jesus Christ, they will spend eternity separated from the love of God, the grace of God, and experiencing unending eternal punishment for their sins. We are a missionary and have a missionary's heart if we are motivated by that truth. We not just know it and assent to it, but it compels us to act upon it. The opposite is also true. We lack a missionary's heart if we don't understand 
if we are not motivated, if we are not compelled, both by the love of Christ, the sent one, and by the eternal destiny of people who don't know Jesus. May it not be that you and I lack the heart of Jesus. And then Jesus said, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. It's a very interesting statement. While I am in the world, it could better be translated whenever I am in the world. If we were then to render it in a spatial sense, a sense of time and space, we would say, whenever I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When we understand what Jesus is saying, going back to, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. We understand better what Jesus is saying. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. We have heard Jesus declaring in chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Now we see Jesus saying, whenever I am in the world, wherever I am in the world. We see him saying to his disciples in Matthew, wherever two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. What does Jesus want us to understand here? He is in the world wherever we are. That is, he is in the world wherever we take him. I think of some of our missionaries. Wherever they are, there is Jesus, the light of the world. Whenever they speak, whenever they minister, whenever they love, whenever they help, people are experiencing Jesus and they are being drawn to the light of the world. This is the missionary mandate. When Jesus came, he came as the light of the world. And wherever people responded to his light, they were brought out of darkness and they became children of God. They believed on his name and they were given eternal life. But those who did not believe and those who did not come into the light were destined to perish. Wherever you and I take Jesus, wherever we proclaim him, people have the opportunity to come into the light. This is the missionary mandate. People will remain in darkness unless they come into the light. How do they come into the light? We as sent ones take the light to them so that they can see Jesus Christ. What did Peter write? He expressed his praise to God who did what? Brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light that we might proclaim his praises. Having said this, verse 6, Jesus spit on the ground. 
made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Now that's an interesting way to heal someone, isn't it? Quite unsanitary in our thinking, isn't it? Well, notice a couple of things here. First of all, Jesus does not ask this blind man, would you like to see? He doesn't ask him, do you have faith that I can heal you? In fact, Jesus doesn't say a word to the blind man. Whether he wants to be healed or not, this blind man is about to be healed. Jesus takes the initiative. He stoops down, he makes mud, and he puts it on the man's eyes. What do we see in this? Grace always takes the initiative. The Apostle Paul said to the Romans, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What did God do? He took the initiative. When did he take it? While we were still sinners. The provision was made on our behalf long before we ever heard the message. God intended us to experience grace apart from any initiative on our part, any expression of desire on our part. What did we say earlier as we referred to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, or verse 6 rather? God caused his light to shine into our hearts. Did we ask God for light? Not at all. God took the initiative and caused light to shine into our hearts. So Jesus took the initiative. And he made mud. Now, Jesus was once again breaking the rules of the Sabbath. For he was kneading with his hands. And according to the Pharisees, he was working. Jesus kneaded this mud and then stood up and put it on the blind man's eyes. It's interesting because the word eyes appears nine times in this chapter. And the grammatical construction in the Greek is rather interesting. The word eyes is accompanied by a personal pronoun. And that pronoun is heightened by being placed outside of its natural order in the Greek. Now, when you and I in English express ourselves, we would say, my eyes, your eyes. The pronoun before the noun. But the natural order in the Greek is for the pronoun to come after the noun. But that order is changed by John. And as we look at what happens at the end of this chapter, it is as though John, who is including this sign so that people will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, is also asking a question of his readers. He smeared mud on the blind man's eyes. Reader, what about your eyes?
Are you still blind? Or has he opened your eyes? Having done that, Jesus said to the man, Go wash your eyes in the pool of Siloam. And John tells us that this word means sent. So the man went and washed. Grace has taken the initiative and brought the man to a place of faith and response. And now Jesus told the man, go, wash. And the man by faith received the grace that Jesus had demonstrated to him. And he went to the pool of Siloam and he washed. Once again, no questions. Do you believe I can do this? Do you believe that this will work? Just go. And the man went. John tells us that the pool of Siloam means sent or one who has been sent. Remember, Jesus is the sent one. And he sent this man to wash in the pool called sent. The early church fathers all looked at this act as being consistent and representing baptism. When someone is baptized, they are identified with Jesus. And when someone is baptized, they then become, as a follower of Jesus, a representative of him. And so what is happening here? The sent one sends a man to wash in the pool called sent. And when he washes, his eyes are open and he can see. And he comes back, no longer just a blind man who can see. But as we will see next week, he comes back as a sent one. The missionary, uppercase M. The sent one, uppercase S and O had sent this blind man to wash in the pool. And when he washed, the work of grace was completed in him and his eyes were open. And when he came back, he came back as someone whose eyes and heart had been open. The work of grace had transformed him. And he came back as a missionary, lowercase m, a sent one. Next week, we will see how his witness encounters the blindness of the community. But these are truths that you and I need to take to heart tonight. You and I would not know Jesus unless the father had sent his son. And you and I would not have a relationship with God. We would not have forgiveness of sin nor eternal life unless the sent one had not come and done a work of grace on our behalf. And this world will not know Jesus 
They will not have the opportunity to come into the light unless we, in keeping with what it means to follow Jesus, to receive grace and to identify with him, are also faithful in taking up our calling to be sent once. Anything less, and we fall short of the purposes and the desires of God. So may you and I again tonight value the work of grace that God has done in our lives and understand that God saved us to send us and to make our lives like this man's life, a witness and a testimony to who Jesus is so that people would be brought out of their blindness into the light of God's redeeming work and grace. Amen.